When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Now launching. Mackie and Judd. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? Victory formation. Baker Mayfield takes a knee. Count it down, everybody. The Browns are winners tonight. And the drought is over. Led by the number one overall draft choice, Baker Mayfield. They come back and win over the Jets. 21 17. Hallelujah. This is definitely up there. You being the first NFL game I've played in. Um, First regular season one that actually counts, so it's definitely up there for me. Um, I've had some great memories, but you know, I'm just just getting started. Manny Hill, it only took 635 days. I looked it up. <laughs> the last time the Cleveland Browns won before last night was a 2017 a penultimate game victory on the 24th of December, 2016. Yeah. That was followed by an overtime loss to Pittsburgh, a year with zero victories in which they went 0-16. And, and a tie. And a tie. And a tie. <laughs> and that was, you know what? That was, now, I went to the Wild game, so I got home in the third quarter and flipped it on. And in no way, shape, or form was that a good football game. But I've begun to sort of rethink for myself, how should I feel about this stuff? You know what that was? It was fun. It was fun. It was a yeah. fun football. It was now. It, I am no longer actually even looking for. Well, that was well played. <laughs> I'm looking for what's fun, and that was fun. It was a lot of fun, and I mean, Tyrod Taylor was just miserable. And then you know, Baker Mayfield comes into the game, and he and he brings him back. And I mean, this is if you're a Browns fan and you want any sort of hope. This is exactly what you wanted to see last night, right? Like, if you want to feel good about what you have and to be legitimately excited now, they're still ways away from being a contender and all that stuff. We know that. But if you are looking for some sort of optimism for the long-term future of the Cleveland Browns, that had to have been fantastic for you last night. And you know what? If you are, you deserve this. Yeah. When you go through that litany of quarterbacks that they've either uh, misguidedly drafted or who they have ruined themselves, a guy like Tim Couch, if you're a Browns fan, you deserve this. You mm-hmm. deserve something positive. You deserve something that gives you even a notion that you're not going to be a complete embarrassment, that you're not going to be a dumpster fire. And also, I've heard the um, mandatory and not surprising 
criticism of Hugh Jackson, their coach today, in regards to the fact that he gave the old cliche when asked who's going to start next game for you, said, I'm going to watch the tape first. Look at the tape. <laughs> All right. All right. But to use credit, to Hugh's credit, Judd, he did it. At, he said that after a win. Because when Leslie was here, yep. when Leslie Frazier was the coach, yep. that was Leslie's answer to everything after a loss or whenever Ponder played terribly. And what are we going to get? Do we really expect, and, and listen, I would be at the forefront of loving this, but do we really expect Hugh to look at the reporter and say, did you just see that game? Did you see Tyrod and then Baker? What do you think I'm going to do? Tyrod Taylor, as long as I'm here, Tyrod Taylor, unless he absolutely has to and Baker gets hurt, will never take the field again. That's the answer that you would like to hear. But I will cut Hugh slack, too, and say, what's he supposed to do? Because right. Tyrod Taylor, by all accounts, is a good guy, right? Yeah. So you're not going to say, did you see him play? Did you see <laughs> Baker Mayfield play? So Did you see the game? So I got a, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I got a question for you off of this that's tied to our our sports teams here. Now, I we've been through a lot of hell, but we have, I don't think, ever been through something like the Browns just went through, which is a 635-day span without a win. What is the streak that you would most like see come to an end in this town? And it doesn't have to be championships. And, and the, only one, the only one that I would eliminate for sure is this one, because I think universally, if you just threw this question out, the answer is going to be, I want the Vikings to win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So throwing that out, because I think that's the one that we would all be incredibly curious because I think the town would be turned upside down. Yep. But Manny Hill, if you had your choice, if the Vikings were taken out and you had your choice of any type of streak in this town that we've been on, and some of them are pretty bad, mm-hmm. to come to an end, what would it be? Well, this I will go the championship route with this, and we did put out a poll question earlier this afternoon that uh, a lot of people have chimed in on. Um, I will go the championship route, and for me, it's probably go for football winning a Big Ten title. I mean, it's we're talking five decades here. We're Six, talking 50, what, 51 years? 67 the last time that they tied for Big Ten title. Right, and, because and, Rose, the ti- and the last Rose Bowl was what, in 60? Uh, early 60s. Yeah. So not I don't think it was 60. I think it was I think it was early 60s. I'm almost positive of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they tied for a Big 10 title. I think it was a three-way tie in 67 and because of how the tiebreaker at that time was I think the team that hadn't gone to the Rose Bowl in the longest right. went. Uh yeah, was I, it Purdue that year or Indiana Indiana. Or Indiana? I think they tied with Purdue and Indiana and I think the Hoosiers went. Hmm. That's a good one and I've brought that one up before because it's, so I was born in 69, so I'm old. And in my lifetime, this program's never really been good. Right. It's gotten decent at times. Holtz brought some hope, and there's been hope at times that they were going to turn a corner. But I think it's safe to say that in my lifetime, and in, certainly in my time following Gopher football, which starts around 1978, they've never turned the corner. Yeah. And you would... They've I been would, close a couple of times, but it's they can't get that one win that they needed to get them over the hump. And I always go back to Gary Barnett's Northwestern teams in the mid-90s. Yep. If they could do it, you can do it. Yes. I'm not, I've told Phil this, I'm not even looking for sustained success from Gopher football. Just give us us something. Just what the, something for a year or two. What the hell happens if this program makes a Rose Bowl in a, in a um, non-college football playoff? So in in a year that the Rose Bowl is just the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even asking for something special here. I'm just saying, what happens here? I, I have no clue. Yeah. Does TCF Bank Stadium fill up? it's been so long. 
It's been so long. Yeah, I, I have no idea what would happen. I mean, is it... I mean, Dinky Town would be crazy. But would they turn over cars? Would they light them on fire? Would they be too stunned to do that? Well, what was the... Wasn't there a little something going on when the when Gopher Hockey won the national title the first yeah, one? Yeah, that they was. Beat, yeah, but what do, you, what do you do when turnover cars for hockey? Go first of all, but, Gopher but Hockey that's what I'm saying. That's should what, win. That's that's what yeah. I'm saying. If they did, if they turn it over for for a national championship in hockey, what do you think they'll do it for a Rose Bowl? If they if the Gophers clinch, if the Gophers win the Big Ten championship game mm-hmm. in Indianapolis, <laughs> that's okay. Which would be a miracle in itself. I was even thinking of that be, one. Yeah. They'd probably be going up against Ohio State or somebody or Michigan. When I saw Dinky Town would be crazy. I I honestly thought that there was, and and I still don't think I don't expect it to happen. But until Northwestern popped up, I thought to myself, it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then Gary Barnett had those couple good years there, yeah. and I thought... They won Big Ten two years in a row. 95 I, and 96. Give me... It, Pat it, Fitzgerald was stud middle linebacker. I've become um, very skeptical if I will live lo- long enough to see that, but it would be... It would be interesting to see what happened, not only to the perception, but actually the fan base. Like, would the fan base get... Would, would you have an actual... And I'm not talking the old school gopher football fans, and I'm not talking the tailgaters. I'm talking about would the would the just normal sort of football fan in this town adopt them at that point? There's just so many unanswered questions. Yeah. Um, mine is this. I did the math today. 43 years of the National Hockey League in this state. The North Stars were here from 67, 68 to 90. Uh, to 93 yep. Yep, 26 years. Two Stanley Cup finals, no Stanley Cups, 17 playoff appearances, so no championships. The Wild have now been here. You have to subtract the 2004-05 lockout season that was completely lost. The Wild have been here for 17 years, nine playoff appearances. The farthest they went was the 2003 conference finals. 43 years of National Hockey League action in this town and what we now call proudly call the state of hockey. And no Stanley Cups. I don't, in my mind, easily the biggest deal without question in this town is if the Vikings ever won the Lombardi Trophy, what the reaction would be to that. And I think it would be outstanding. But if the Wild ever won a Stanley Cup and had the subsequent parade and all that stuff, I think it would be... I The, the reason I say this, Manny Hill is because when the North Stars or Wild have had playoff runs, the TV the TV ratings skyrocket. The whole yeah. town is into it. Yeah. I think a Stanley Cup in this town would, would be crazy. Would be absolutely crazy. Yeah. It would be it would be I think we think it would be crazy. I think it would be crazier than that. If, <laughs> if that makes sense. We have no idea how yes. crazy it would yes. be. Yes. And, and I mean it's been since, you know, since uh major men's uh, professional sports team in this town won a championship in 1991. So yeah. it's hard. In 27 years. It's hard now to go back and reflect on that. But yeah, I think 43 years of the National Hockey League in this town, and as I said, now proudly we call ourselves as much as I think it's it's pretentious, the state of hockey, mm-hmm. a Stanley Cup. And, and plus, the other thing, too, is there is no better trophy. 
Oh, it's it's yeah. Like there's I, no I, there's yeah. no there the Lombardi Trophy, the baseball trophy, which is a goofy looking thing as far as I'm concerned. I've always thought the Lombardi Trophy is kind of lame. I do too. It's just kind of is the Larry O'Brien Trophy as a basketball guy. Are you that excited I, to I, see the Larry O'Brien? Yeah, I like the Larry O'Brien Trophy. It's probably number two behind the Stanley Cup in terms of just how it looks and how cool it is and everything. But yeah, the Lombardi Trophy is well. It's small and it's just kind of. But the Stanley Cup, we can agree, is easily yeah. the best, right? Oh yes, yeah. Like there's no con- there's no competition for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I don't I don't think you even have to be a hockey fan to understand like just how cool the Stanley Cup is, just in terms of like how it looks and just the 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 celebration of winning it, where you get every player gets to skate around the ice holding it up. I mean, that's that's you can't beat it. Although I was very disappointed to see that uh, that the people who travel around with the cup are now going to request no, no more keg stands. Ovechkin was doing the keg stands, Alex Ovechkin, on, on that Saturday it, huh? in Washington, and they're saying we're we're concerned about the bowl at top of the cup because you got these grown men doing keg stands that you're going to bust it off. I think the keg stands were absolutely outstanding. Hey, hey, Mark, what's going on? Thanks for joining the conversation. Yeah, let me give you a little perspective on gopher football. I saw my first game in 1953, long before you guys were around. And yes. gopher football was the sport in town. Yes. You have to remember, there was no major league sports besides the Lakers, which Correct. didn't draw that well. And you'd have 60,000, 65,000 every week at Memorial Stadium most of the time. Uh, come hell or high water, and it was uh, they won Big Ten champion. They were national champs in '60. They went to the Rose Bowl '61, '62, and I have friends who played on the '67 team. But I'll give you a better example than Northwestern, okay. and that's that's Wisconsin. Wisconsin was way worse than Minnesota <laughs> ever was. Oh yeah. All, all through the seventies and eighties, they were putrid. Mm-hmm. The same in, bas- in basketball, they were even worse than that. They mm-hmm. were nothing, so Mark. Before before Barry Alvarez got there, they were nothing. Donna Shalali, Manny. Donna Shalali yeah. is the one who tried, tried got, that one. They Ooh. got serious about it. They haven't. I was a season ticket holder for years. Football, basketball. They haven't been serious about it over there. I've had it with them until they could show me. If they really are serious about this, forget it. I won't spend a dime. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Here we started with the what do we want to see? We're so positive. We started with a positive show. <laughs> and Mark calls in and pulls a Judd. Uh, 651-646-8255. 651-646-8255. What, uh, what godforsaken Minnesota sports streak would you like to see come to an end? Also, a couple key Vikings will be out for Sunday's game. And, um, well, it appears that Tibbs is being as stubborn as ever. Uh, plenty to get to. 3.30, John Clayton, a uh, longtime NFL reporter, will join us. Mackie and Judd, Phil, will join at 4. Go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley dokley. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. Quick look at your traffic brought to you by the Better Business Bureau. 94 eastbound. We have a crash uh, slowing things down by six minutes. That's uh, between 3rd uh, Avenue and Highway 65 in Minneapolis. So be on the lookout for that. Also, 494 westbound. Uh, Six-minute delay at uh, Highway 100 and Normandale, uh, Normandale Boulevard, which is, of course, um, Highway 100 near Edina. Look out for a crash there. That's, nine, that's uh, 494 Westbound, so be on the lookout for that. Join the Better Business Bureau at the Torch Awards for Ethics. BBB's Torch Award embodies Better Business Bureau's mission of advancing trust in the marketplace. 
14 businesses will be honored at U.S. Bank Stadium October 24th. Purchase tickets at bbb.org slash Minnesota. All right, TCL Broadcast Studio, Zolgad, Manny Hill until uh, 4 o'clock. John Clayton, uh, longtime National Football League reporter, now works on uh, Seahawks uh, broadcast and also works the um, works as a talk show host in Seattle. Will join us at three thirty. Uh, Manny got some news. First of all, Vikings play the Bills on Sunday. We have the injury report, and uh, it's not surprising that the Vikings are going to be cautious here. Dalvin Cook, who is nursing a hamstring injury suffered Sunday at Green Bay, has already been declared out. Everson Griffin, with a knee problem, has been declared out. Tight end David Morgan with a knee problem, who also is a pretty good player. He's not a star, but he's a pretty good player. He's mm-hmm. out. And uh, Marcus Sherrills, who returns punts, has a rib injury. He suffered Sunday against the Packers. He's out. The interesting thing was Mike Boone, who is one of the backup running backs uh, and is, would probably be the guy behind Latavius Murray, he injured his groin at some point in practice this week. He was added to the injury report on Friday, and he's listed as questionable, which could open the door, I would think, for Rock Thomas to play. The good news is Pat Elfline practiced all week coming off the uh, surgery he had in the offseason on his shoulder and ankle, and he is expected to make his debut. Mike Zimmer has already said he will not start, but he is expected to play. Brett Jones will start for the third consecutive game, and Rashad Hill, who hurt uh, his ankle, I believe, on Sunday against the Packers, went from not practicing Wednesday to being limited on Thursday, full practice on Friday, and so he should be good to go as well. The Bills will be uh, without... Uh, Shaq Larson, a D lineman for them, and LaShawn McCoy is questionable with ribs. So the news being, though, that Cook and Griffin will both be out. And it's a smart move when you consider that they are going to turn around and play on Thursday against the yes. Rams. And I would much rather have Everson Griffin and Dalvin Cook playing against the Rams than I would risk their health against the Bills and then lose them for an extended period. Yeah, and I think if you go into this game and if you really feel like you need Everson Griffin for this game against the Buffalo Bills, then what are we doing here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like spinning if, our if, wheels. Yeah, so it, it's 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 the right play. Don't play the guy. You know, guy. If guys are banged up or if they're sore or, or they're they're dealing with certain you know ailments, sit them down. That game on Thursday is huge. It's on the road against a really good football team, arguably the best team in football right now the way they're playing. So get your guys as healthy as you can for Thursday. Get in, take care of business against the Bills, and get ready for Thursday. It's time for a Jimmy Butler update, Manny Hill. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always something going on with Jimmy Butler. What do we got? Here's what we got. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN uh, NBA reporter extraordinaire. I jotted down his tweets today. Because now it's just the timeline of stuff. It's fantastic. Okay, hang on one second here. All I gotta, right. I got to get this queued up. More production? And now, on Mackie and Judd, it's another edition of Timberwolves Drama. What do you have, sir? 10 a.m. Central Daylight Time. Woj tweets, rival executives lobbing calls to Minnesota's front office on possibility of trading for Jimmy Butler are getting inquiries shut down. Minnesota telling teams that Butler's an elite player and the franchise intends to keep him. Also, an addendum to that tweet, as in the case with past trades involving Wolves stars Kevin Garnett and Kevin Love, owner Glenn Taylor will be a major part of the process on deciding whether to move Butler this season. 
And then it continues with more, as you said, Timberwolves drama. Woj's uh, timeline continues on. Among teams probing... (laughs) Among teams probing for an avenue to make a Butler deal in the near future, there's a strong belief that working through ownership is the way to go. Taylor is attending league meetings today in New York. And then the final Woj tweet that I saw before we came on the air, Manny Hill. Here's more reporting on the current Minnesota key slash hope to a possible Butler trade. And you brought this one up, and this is the all-timer here. This is the head in the sand. Mm-hmm. Unloading Gorgie Jang's remaining $48 million salary, meaning that maybe the Wolves, maybe Tibbs might be willing to make this trade in which he has no leverage whatsoever. He might be willing to make this trade if some sucker will come along and take Gorgie's contract, which I'm sure he's being laughed at. So ba- yeah. so basically... in I'm sure plenty of people are lining up to take that Massive salary. So basically, recapping what Woj is saying, it's being made very clear to Woj that this is going to be, and this doesn't make me feel a lot better, this is going to be, Manny Hill, a Glenn Taylor mandated trade. Yeah, it's going to have to be. Because with all the reports that we're seeing about Tom Thibodeau very, very reluctant to part ways with Jimmy Butler and basically not wanting to do it, I mean, yeah, I mean, we've been saying this for days that Glenn is probably going to have to be the one to step in and take some form of action here. Because if 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 the Wolves are just going to sit sit here and stand pat and not do anything and basically like like the old gif of what's what's the gif of the animated dog sitting in like the flaming room and and you just see the yeah. you just see it. Oh, this is fine. Mm-hmm. That's what it seems like right now. Hey, Jimmy Butler wants a trade. He wants to leave Minnesota. Eh, this is fine. This is all giving more and more credence. Glenn cre- has to step in here. He this has is, to. This is all giving more and more credence to the Sporting News report on Thursday, which is he not only has to step in, he very well might have to step in and say, Tom, we need to dissolve your contract. Like, if you won't do this, if you are going to be this, – this is reading more and more when you go through all of these reports – like it's coming damn close to insubordination because clearly Glenn is Glenn's the one saying, yeah, okay, what are you going to do here? We need to do something here. We can't do this. Glenn, I'm sure it's been made very aware to him that the issue here is not Butler. Who cares about Butler? The issue is towns and you can't bring Butler into camp with towns. So, so if Tibbs is saying, no, I won't do it because if I do this, we're going to miss the playoffs and you're going to fire me. And Glenn says, no, you have to do it. And Tibbs says, no, I won't. Then it's insubordination. Yeah. It's just that simple. And the problem here is that it it does not appear that there is any any effort or any sort of movement to try and get Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns on the same page. If that relationship is irreparable, then you have to... (laughs) And Jimmy Butler wants a trade. Yeah, you have to make it happen. Well, it's, like it's all done too. I mean, it's yeah, done. Like you it, just have to. And, and have to I, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm baffled at this idea that Tom Thibodeau's like, no, we, no, I don't want to do this. Well, he figures he's going to get fired if they don't make the playoffs, but just expedite the process then. Yeah, but if, if Glenn has told him, if Glenn is, which he is, why are in they New dragging York, their feet in all of this? This is my problem. Because Tom, That's my problem. because Tom doesn't want to do it, but Tom has no choice. 
It's not up to Tom. This is not dragging, his team. But like my my point is, they've been dragging their feet all summer. This is it Tom? It's Tibbs. Yeah. This is what you get. We were wrong about him. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least be, he can't handle this role, the executive role. I don't even want to talk about his coaching. Because maybe there's some debate there about the merits of it. I don't know. But I don't even want to talk about that. But the problem is, I move is that... to sever that from the conversation. I don't yeah. want to talk about what he does as a coach. I want to talk about the fact that he can't do the executive role. And Woj's reporting is basically saying that Layden's picked sides here, and he's with Team Tibbs. And if that's the case, then to go back to your question of yesterday, I guess Glenn makes the trade, and I don't know who runs the team. I mean, if Layden's going oh, to, man. if Layden's going to side with Tom here, then. They both have to go. Yeah. But Glenn Taylor owns this team, and if Glenn Taylor says Carl Anthony Towns is priority one and they say, well, we are not going to think that way, then they're being insubordinate and they're fired and it's done. But do you think that if they decide to part ways with Tibbs, even though even if Scott Layden is is on Team Tibbs, so to speak, do you think if they decide to to part ways with Tibbs that, that Layden would really need to go, though? Along along with that, because you somebody has to be there to make well, a decision. And I mean, Glenn Taylor is the owner and he said he has the final say on anything. I think you might be right. I but, think. But does yeah. he but but Glenn can't be the one to get in a trade negotiation with oh. the Brooklyn Nets or the New York Knicks about a Jimmy Butler trade. I think that if you go to Layden and say Tom's done, it's not going to work. Are you just siding with Tom because he hired you, or and he says, you know, no, Glenn, I'm I'm fine with that. I'll trade him. Then I think you allow him to make the trade because you still need. But a, there's no leverage here. There's no there's yeah. no good trade that's going to be made here because I'm, because you still need to because you're going to move make the move on Jimmy Butler. You 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 still need like a basketball person. Yep. To make to go through the negotiations and the contact with the Knicks or the Clippers or whoever the hell it's going to end up being. All I know is I went and saw the Wild last night and things are peachy keen in St. Paul. Just because they're not a playoff team, you know what? Things are still peachy keen. Are they, though? I mean, they no, lost they're... a couple of... Lost well, a couple compared of, to Target Center, lost they are. a couple of preseason games in a row. Oh, we're trying. We're playing a lot of guys, okay? We're third, playing a lot of guys. The third period was a little rough last night. No, we're night. playing a lot of guys. The third period was very rough two nights ago against the Blues in Des Moines. You know why? Because we're playing a lot of guys, okay? We're, we're getting a lot of good looks at people. Everything's peachy keen. Everyone's healthy. Everything's fantastic. Uh, the Mackie and Judd poll is this question for Friday. Excluding the Vikings, which Minnesota sports drought do you want to see end the most? We've got Twins playoff win, Gophers football Big Ten title, a Stanley Cup, or an NBA title right now. More than 1,000 votes in, and it is the Stanley Cup leading at 38%. You can find that. It was posted by Manny Hill, but also retweeted 1500 ESPN. When we come back, we're going to talk about the National Football League, all sorts of things, including the Vikings' uh, 1-0-1 start. John Clayton joins us next. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN. Are you ready? Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We are ready. Now back to Mackie and John. Ready! On 1500 ESPN. Ow! 
TCL Broadcast Studios, Judd Manny, now joined by our friend and a James Brown enthusiast from 710 ESPN in Seattle, John Clayton. How are you, sir? What's going on? Doing great. Always good to get some JB in there. Well, you you know that when you come on this show, it's going to be played. I gotta love it. Definitely uh, love it. It's I, good to be back. Yeah, and uh, let's start off with this one. Do you have a Baker Mayfield mania yet? Where do you stand on, on all of this after last night's game? Which, which, as I told Manny, wasn't necessarily a good game, but I will say this, it was a fun second half to watch. It really was, and I think what it did is it uh, kind of re-energized a lot of different things. I think you saw that the ratings were phenomenal. I mean, it's like a, an 8.4, one of the best-rated uh, Thursday night games since, what, about 2015. So that was encouraging, and I think you can see there's definitely a buzz there with Baker Mayfield. But I still take some pause in that because – you know, I thought going into the game that it was going to be a Browns win, which is something I've not said really since 2015, probably. <laughs> uh, and what I what I liked is that uh, you know you got Sam Darnold, which I think uh, Todd Bowles made a mistake by having him play three games in 11 days. And think about this: I mean, trying to have a rookie quarterback, the youngest quarterback who started since the merger trying to go out there and do that, I knew it was going to catch up to him, and he's going against Greg Williams' defense. So they might have been better served to go with Josh McCown. But in typical Cleveland Brown fashion, Mm -hmm. what did they do? They stunk up the first half. Taylor was terrible. They couldn't get any offense going. And then here comes Baker Mayfield in, and with Greg Williams really uh, kind of watching on the side and kind of smiling, Todd Bowles didn't have a game plan for him. And so uh, Baker was able to go out. He was able to start to hit the short stuff get the team moving, show the energy, and get the victory. So I thought it was great, but I still wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to Taylor. Now the problem is Taylor has uh, three concussions in a year, so there's a decent chance that he may have to sit and they go to Baker Mayfield. And so now all the Brown fans are going to be sitting there singing, we are the champions with a five-win team. So, John, if you uh, drafted a QB, what would be your approach in year one? Sit him. I agree with that. That's because, again, I mean, I know that's not the tendency that you would like to have, but you have more of a chance to ruin a quarterback in the first year than to gain one. Now, it's a different story if the quarterback like Carson Wentz and a few others, Russell Wilson, come out of a pro-set offense. Because, again, they're used to doing the things that the spread quarterbacks aren't doing. They're used to being in huddles. They're used to you know, giving the plays as opposed to just grabbing the plays from the sidelines in college. And so there's more of an advancement there that you can have if you are a pro-set quarterback in college. But the problem is, you know, if you go in there as a rookie, look at the damage you can do. I mean, Blake Bortles, I thought, was a classic example of that. The first year, the team did not want to play him. The offensive coordinator talked him into playing, and so they played him, and then they, ha- they passed him too much. And what he ended up doing, he's got arm fatigue and a bad first year, and it set him back probably two years. So, John, what, what's your take on, on Josh Allen in Buffalo now? Because we're going to get a first look at him here in Minnesota on Sunday, and it seems like that, that just seems like a terrible situation to put that kid in against Mike Zimmer's defense in that environment, in that crowd I, I, I don't really see where, what, what the Bills are doing here with this kid. No, I mean, they've totally screwed it up. I mean, first off, they made the mistake of trading Tyron Taylor because, uh, you know, he's better than A.J. McCarron. And so they trade him, and then I don't know what it was with A.J., but uh, it just didn't seem to work out there, so they trade him. So now they're in the position to have the worst quarterback I've seen since Tim Tebow uh, out there, Nathan Peterman. And if he failed, which he did, and you knew he would, that puts you with Josh Allen. And Josh Allen, of the quarterbacks taken in the first round, 
clearly the one that needs the most time. And in a lot of ways, you can compare his footwork and some of the mechanical things that need to be done with him to what Blake Bortles had coming out of college. I mean, everybody at the Combine was saying it's like Blake Bortles needs to sit the first year. And they also say the same thing about Josh Allen. Well, here it is two weeks into the season, and Josh Allen is starting when he really shouldn't. Bad, bad precedent. And I think what it's going to do is more damage than good. John, I'm torn here. Roughing the passer and the uh, plethora of calls, I think it's 21 through two weeks so far. I It's frustrating to watch it affect games, but then I think to myself, okay, but Judd, if the trade-off is Rodgers or Brady gets hurt, that also affects the entire year. And as a football fan, I don't like that. Do you do you understand this and like where it's going, or do you think that they they need to pull back and not call, call this quite as much? Because the Clay one on Sunday at the game, that I was at was absolutely an abysmal call. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's total confusion, and they need to lighten up on it, and you know they won't, because here they come back on Monday, and this is where the confusion totally goes, because you know, it's called quarterback burping, and uh, Eddie <laughs> Hendricks did it, and you saw that uh, the quarterback burp on Clay Matthews took away their chance to win the game, because that interception probably would have sealed the fate and ended that game. And then you know, to add to the confusion, on Monday they come out and say, oh, we're going to use those two plays and show that that's a, a penalty. All right, so now they come back today, and Clay Matthews meets with the media and says, oh, by the way, I didn't get fined. What? It's like, right. okay, so you can't have it both ways. And what I, I, I resist is the confusion of adding a call. And I know that um, you know, Dean Blandino, Mike Pereira, both came back and you know, criticized the league for doing that, changing the rules and adding things as the season's going on. It makes it worse. I mean, this makes the catch rule look good. <laughs> So what should they do? I mean, at, at this point in time, in week three, what do you do to begin to to fix this to a point where you're still protecting quarterbacks, but it's not as as ridiculous and over the top as we've seen in the first two weeks? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, they it, it's like they put their flags in the pocket now for the helmet hit, which of course, and at least in the first two weeks, they were pretty good about that mm-hmm. because I mean, the the helmet hits that were there, they were all justified, and the two ejections should have been two ejections. I thought that was good. But I think they need to kind of do the same thing with the quarterback hits because, you know, if you're just grabbing, I guess, what, what is Clay Matthews supposed to do? What is Eddie Kendrick supposed to do? You know, they're coming in, they're flying toward the quarterback, and they're grabbing him with the idea, it's like, okay, I'm going to give this a lighter type of crash for the quarterback, and yet they get the penalty, and these are dangerous penalties. And so uh, I just shake my head, but I think that the thing that they should do, if 21 calls in the first two weeks are there, have it three or four. I mean, you're almost four times what it should be, and I just think that's wrong. And don't keep adding to things. It's like it gets worse and worse. So, John, I want to ask you about the Steelers quickly because – there's obviously a lot of drama going on there with the Le'Veon Bell situation, and then Antonio Brown comes out the other day and says, we stink, and the defense has not been very good, and we're so used to, to the Steelers being such a strong defensive team, and they really haven't been in a couple of years. Is is Mike Tomlin going to be able to, to, to right this ship? You would hope so. I mean, he's always been able to, because that's why they've been able to stay at that 10-12 to 12 win level, but right now things are as bad as it's been. And uh, they don't have Le'Veon Bell. He's either you know singing uh, in a rap group, or I mean, doing his rap songs, or he's on a jet ski someplace. <laughs> and uh, now I know Ed Bouchette back in Pittsburgh looked at uh, some pictures of him, and he looked kind of thick. I mean, like he's a little bit out of shape. Mm. That's discouraging. Antonio Brown. I mean, I think what you do with Antonio, you just kind of give him three strikes. You realize if you do 
three crazy things a year, and so this was just one so he can have two more, and he's going to be fine. The defense, that's where I think they've really got to fix things up because the defense looks absolutely horrendous, but at 0-1-1, this season is rapidly slipping away from them, and they've got to find a way to get it back. The the Vikings, in your mind, rank where in this conference? Because it's a good conference. Uh, if you were to put this thing in uh, a top five, where would the Vikings fall for you right now, John? They would fall two. Rams would be one. Minnesota Vikings would be two. Probably Green Bay three. Uh, then, you know, I've discounted the teams in the NFC South because uh, they're all going to just beat up all on each other. You know, Philadelphia's off a little bit. So I would say, uh, you know, because I, I, w- I would have put New Orleans in there, but uh, that 48-point game against Tampa Bay. So I guess technically what you have to do in the number four hole, you put Tampa Bay because of Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then number five, I'd probably go with Philadelphia. Is Khalil Mack going to win Defensive Player of the Year? He's been terrific these oh, first two weeks. Phenomenal. I mean, I can't. I mean, yeah. Let's put it this way: he has a better chance because he's away from Vaughn Miller. He's in a different conference. But the, <laughs> those are the two best defensive players right now. Although JJ Watt is really starting to come back. But uh, the Khalil Mack thing has. I mean, I thought when they made the trade, I thought that uh, they were a five-win team that was going to go to seven. Now, having seen him in person watching from the sidelines, now I think they're an eight-win team. And again, this is with the struggling Mitch Trubisky, because once Mitch Trubisky mm-hmm. gets through the 15-17 to 17 play script, he's not the same. When he's scripted, he's pretty good. After the script, he's not as good. But I tell you what, Mac is phenomenal. And when you think they've got five first-rounders as a core group on defense, most of the guys are signed now past 2020. This team is now starting to finally go in the right direction. Which leads to this question, what's John Gruden doing? Uh, making mistakes, in my opinion. Maybe not as far as the play calling, but as far as the roster moves. I don't think you get any better by having 16 players in your 30s. Now, can you imagine how bad that's going to be once they get into a Sunday to Thursday situation? That's going to be a disaster because now the older guys aren't going to be able to be recovered by Thursday. And then secondly, you've watched, and you'll see it again this week, You know, they fade in the second half, particularly on defense. And then John came out yesterday or two days ago and said, hey, it's hard to find a pass rusher. Well, yeah. If that's the case, keep the pass rusher. He's not he's doing really himself. Good. He's not doing himself any favor, John, by saying that. It's like two weeks in a row. He said after a game, we got to get better with our pass rush. Like, right. Well, you traded it away. I know. I mean, uh, and I, I can guarantee this. I know this is a, a debate that uh, you know people will criticize me for, but it's like he, they're not with those two first round picks. They're not going to find a player as good as Khalil Mack. Explain Ryan Fitzpatrick to me, John, because we've seen this before, and it's the damnedest thing. He'll pop up and go on these stretches where he's not just good, he's fantastic, mm-hmm. but it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, and so he either won't get paid or he'll come back to, to earth. What's your explanation for how this guy has basically made an industry of getting incredibly hot at times? Well, I mean, I, I, it's the Ted March of Broda thor, uh, theory, and his theory has always been that if you have a great backup quarterback, he can come off the bench and win you three, but if you play him six, he can lose you three. And the theory on that is that uh, you, know, you get game tape after you know, one, two, and three weeks, and so now you've got a pretty good idea who the quarterback is, and then you can try to go ahead and try to stop him. And you go back to Nick Foles, you know, that was what was happening to him during the regular season, how he got as hot as he did during the uh, playoffs in the mm-hmm. Super Bowl, who knows but no the theory is i mean if you go six you're eventually going to get back to three and three uh and i will see if he can do it but right now the way he's playing he's got to get the six because uh, you can't pull him out and go to Jameis winston when he's playing this well but i think it'll start to slowly back up but the one thing that was interesting did you see Deshaun jackson uh, yesterday no i didn't 
Deshaun, you know, because uh, Deshaun and Jameis just they didn't hit it off in the first year. I don't know about the personality part about it. That's probably irrelevant. But on the field, they just didn't get in sync together. And so all of a sudden, Fitzpatrick is in total sync with uh, Deshaun Jackson. And Deshaun Jackson came out and said, hey, we've got we to keep uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. There should be no quarterback change. And they said, do you really want to say that with Jameis Winston? He says, hey, I'm just giving you my opinion. Yeah, he's probably right. Uh, are, are the Seahawks not that good or just struggling right now? Since you uh, see that team struggling, so much. but again, if they continue to struggle like that, then they're not that good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw them in the preseason game, you know, and they... they want play to play against the Vikings, even though they're not as talented as the Vikings. But you go through the first two weeks, and, I mean, they had so many things. I mean, they had six players, either first-year or rookies, getting 25 plays or more in the first game, and three players, Earl Thomas, uh, Deion Jordan, and J.R. Sweezy, who had no training camp. I mean, basically, they had a total of eight, eight practices. Then you come back in week two, uh, Bobby Wagner's out. You know, they lose uh, Trey Flowers, their starting cornerback. K.J. Wright remained out. And so they literally took Austin Calitro, a guy that you, I know you always talk well about. Oh, love he him. started a middle linebacker for the first time. And then, you know, the inside trader, Michael Kendrick, uh, Mike, you, know, you know, Michael Kendricks came out and played well, played like 50-some plays. And so, I mean, they're, and now they're scrambling around because Ethan Posick, their left guard, is going to be out. They don't know if Justin Britt's going to be able to play. So they're doing some struggling. They're not running the football. Their offensive line's a mess. Right now it's not looking good, but they still have talent. How have they not been able to fix that offensive line? Because it's been an issue for a couple of years now. It really has. Well, I think what ended up happening is that the, you know, the Tom Gable system just kind of went awry, and so some of the guys developed more bad habits than good habits. I mean, Jermaine Effetti being the classic example of that. I mean, he was uh, pass blocking on his back foot, and you know, he was flinching too many times. He had 20 penalties and was like, oh, somehow able to get around and get around that. And so uh, there's talent there on the line, but it's just not sinking. And then the injuries have now started to creep in this year. We'll see if it can sink. But, uh, you know, they brought in Mike Solari as the offensive line coach, and he's going to be good. But right now he hasn't got the problems fixed. But Blair Walsh is gone, and that's the good thing if you're that team. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, that's why with uh, Daniel Carlson getting cut, I knew that uh, Blair was not going to come back for a workout. (laughs) No, he was not going to. (laughs) Thanks, John. Appreciate the time as always. Thanks, John. Thanks. All right, John Clayton, a veteran National Football League reporter, also hosts a weekday show, 710 ESPN in Seattle, and is a sideline reporter uh, on Seahawks broadcast on that same station. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up this hour. Then Mackie joins at 4. Matthew Collar in the football hour at 5. Uh, Sage Rosenfels also in the 5 o'clock hour. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off. On 1500 ESPN. Quick look at your traffic brought to you by Menards, 494 Westbound. We still have that crash slowing things down uh, near Edina, near Normandale Boulevard. And uh, if you're traveling eastbound on 494, look for about a 12-minute delay on your commute. Also, 35 northbound Near Forest Lake, near the uh, near the split, we've got a crash there, delaying things by eight minutes near Viking Boulevard. Write that down right around the corner, but first let's get to this. As coaches, we're always looking to get every player better every single day and, and, and striving to hold guys accountable and doing the right thing. And I went back and reminded Laquan how far he's come since we've, since we've started. 
Um, obviously, he scored his first touchdown of his career in that game in the first quarter, and that's a huge play. I mean, people now tend to focus on the negative all the time, yeah. and I try to, you know, to focus yeah. on some of the positives without you know, not having my head buried in the sand that there's areas of improvement. Of course. But I, I, I'm gonna, we're staying positive, okay? We're staying positive. And so... Uh, you cut you know, Daniel Carlson! What happened, what happened with the drop and the interception and those things? No, that, that can't happen. The whole world knows that can't happen. But at the same time, the kid did some really good things in the game on Sunday. That was uh, Thursday. John Filippo, the uh, offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, talking about Laquan Treadwell, uh, who Matthew Collar has a piece about right now, 1500ESPN.com. You can check out. I, I took these stats right from Collar's uh, story, 1500ESPN.com. Manny Hill, two games so far for Laquan Treadwell. Mm-hmm. Nine targets, four receptions, one for a touchdown, his first career touchdown. Nine targets, four receptions, four drops including the one that he tipped up in the air against Green Bay that mm-hmm. ha-ha Clinton Dix intercepted. And Almost at the time, the game. at the time looked to be a death knell. It did not end up being that. Yep. Um, so Collar's got a piece posted on Laquan on 1500ESPN.com. Uh, Chad Graff of The Athletic has some quotes I'd like to read you sure. from Laquan. I, I take it this was a one-on-one between Mr. Graff and Mr. Treadwell. Uh, so I don't think there's sound from this, but I will I will relay the quotes, and I'd like to see your reaction. Hear hear your reaction, and since I'm sitting across from you, see your facial reaction as I read these to you. Mm-hmm. This is Laquan talking to Chad Graff. Not to sound like I'm trying to blow it off, but I'd rather it happen now, early on in the season, than in the playoffs or later on when a game is do or die for the season. He said of the drops. I'd rather not. I'd rather it not happen at all, but okay. It gets more maddening. Honestly, the touchdown was great, he said. Yeah. But the drop for the interception actually taught me more than the touchdown. It's probably weird to say that, but I learned a lot about myself. To drop that and then have to go back out there, it's hard. It's already an emotional game. And then that was probably the biggest play at that time. So I learned a lot about myself. And it put me in a different perspective with my walkthroughs and my practices. I'm just more intentional now with the little things. He's in his third year, right? Yeah. He has caught one touchdown pass and has been a bust so far, right? Yep. And that one touchdown pass was uh, on Sunday. So it took, so now, th- see, this is, all right. It took two seasons and one game and one quarter. And this is nonsense. For him to catch a touchdown. And this is nonsense. Because there is, listen, I understand that there's some athletes who the light bulb goes off and they get it, and I get that happens, so I'm not dismissing that. Much like Flip, I'm being very positive here. But there's also lip service. Mm -hmm. And we've all heard it before. And this is nothing more than that. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know, maybe, you know what, maybe he just might not be that good. It, It might just be flat out he's not that good. I, sometimes he runs the wrong route, but may, maybe he loves football, and he's just not that good. He's not as good as we thought. It was a, Mistakes happen, and it's frustrating, and you hate for those mistakes to be first-round picks, but maybe it's that simple. But all I'm saying is that quote I just read you is hogwash. Well, it, it, I just... My, my thing is, I just want to stop. I don't want to hear any more about how this is this this is going to be different. This year is going to be different because we heard it after his rookie year when he had one catch, Judd, right? He had one catch his whole rookie season, and I think he battled some injuries and, and stuff like that too. 
What do we hear? What do we hear after his rookie season? It's going to be better. He's he's ready to take the next step. Okay, fine. He took he took the next step. He had twenty catches last year. He multiplied his career total by twenty. He had twenty catches last year, no touchdowns. And he nearly cost you that game on Sunday. And, and but but what do we hear? What do we hear this past off season though? Same thing, right? No, I know. Oh, he's that, gonna he's gonna take this, he's gonna take the next step. Yep. He's gonna take the next step, and this is gonna be a big year for him. One more <laughs> one more quote from Laquan Treadwell to Chad Graff. Theathletic.com is where you can find this. I pay attention, but there's paying attention, and then there's being intentional with everything. Treadwell said, "From walkthrough to film, now I watch my catch points and really focus on it. I mean, everyone here has confidence in their hands." So now I just have to pay attention to the small details of my catch points in my hands and my eyes. I just focus more on that and be really, really intentional from the beginning to the end of practice. It's hogwash. <laughs> and what, you you have found the football gods in Sunday? Is that what you're saying? Are you saying, what are you saying exactly here? Right. Like, yeah. we know you don't get it. You'd be better off just telling Graf, I just don't get it. He, you know, what I want to hear is, I got to be better. I want to hear, I need to be better. I've been terrible. I stink. I need to be better. If I hear him say that, then it's like, okay, he might not be better. He might not ever. He might not ever be good. I'm starting to think, almost, you know, we're in year three of this. I'm starting to think, yeah, he's not going to be any good at all. But I just want to hear, yeah, I'm, I have not been good, and I need to be better. I need to catch the football. I can. I want to hear, I cannot drop the football. It's unacceptable as a wide receiver for me to drop the football. The dro- That's what I want to hear. The drop for the interception actually taught me more than the touchdown. But you've dropped four passes what, what this year. What did it teach you? What did, did you? What sort of? And epiphany, it's common. What sort of epiphany did he have by dropping that pass on Sunday? It's not it like it, it's it this is not brain surgery. Just you dropped the football, you should have caught it. Just say that. Just say that. When you have as many drops on the season as you do receptions, then you're not learning from anything. No. Write that down. Mackie joins next. People, people. I have an important announcement. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. On 1500 ESPN.